We'll be in 2 Corinthians today, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, while you're turning, um, and before we pray, I thought I'd mention that it was, I had a somewhat difficult time at work because I had to deal with a shelter guest who uh, started out to be really exciting because uh, he knew more scripture than anybody that had ever been there that I had talked to. He could quote several passages and not just quote them, he understood what he was talking about, and I'm talking from all the Bible, very knowledgeable. But it didn't take too long in talking to him uh, that unfortunately he is insane, and uh, that was quite difficult to deal with. I could talk to him about the scripture, but he um, would then sometimes go off uh, like he was talking to people in anger, and he would, and you know, he'd start speaking in different languages. I knew one was Russian, and he was repeating that, and he was talking about Vladimir Putin, I don't know what all, but anyway, uh, it got really bad towards the end on Saturday morning, but um, so I hope that they won't be so bad um, in the coming days. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today Uh, that we have another opportunity to go to your word. I thank you for a church that believes in your word, that holds it as the authority. Um, I'm thankful for a church that believes it's important for us to study and to be fed spiritually, and for the love that's here among all of uh, these at this church. Uh, the compassion that's shown in many ways all the time. But Father, we know that's because it's your love through us. We're thankful that we can let that happen, and I'm thankful to see that. And so as we go to your word today, again, we pray that in this passage that Paul was inspired to write, that we would have understanding of it, Um, And always we ask for wisdom, the ability to apply it in our lives to be pleasing to you. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a passage of scripture that I often use um, at funerals because of the content. I mean, I use it along with other passages. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For, which means because, and this uh, goes on from the previous verses. You might remember um, the last message five weeks ago as we finished chapter 4, where it talked about in verse 17, our light affliction. It's what we're going through now. It's light compared to how great it'll be in heaven. But the light affliction, which is but for a moment, as comparing the short time of our life now to eternity, but for a moment works for, for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So the exceeding part goes along with the light, right? It's the opposite. The light affliction, so it's talking about exceeding glory. And then uh, the part where it says for a moment, that's the opposite of eternal glory. So you can see those are contrasted in verse 17. Verse 18 said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, that is the invisible the things that will last forever. It says, for the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, all in this life, 
will come to an end. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And so he goes on, remember the chapter of divisions were added later, but he goes on saying, for because we believers know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's talking about our physical bodies that we currently live in, that's what we, it houses us. Um, yes, there are bodies, and that's how we identify each other by looking, but it's just a shell, it's just where we, we are in. It's a physical body, and that's what it's called here, an earthly house. Of this tabernacle were dissolved. We know that if it would dissolve, and one day it will be, unless we're alive at the rapture, we have a builder, or a building, excuse me, of God. So a different kind of building. Instead of an earthly house, a physical body, we're going to have, of course, a spiritual body, a glorified body. It says, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, there's a lot of scriptures we could look at. We're not going to do that this morning, but we can refresh our minds thinking about it. That this glorified body, first it's going to be eternal. Um, some people teach that only the faithful Christians will get glorified bodies. I'm not sure how they come to that conclusion, but I don't see that in the Word. I believe that is all of us uh, will resurrect. If, we're, if, we're, if we die before Christ returns, we'll resurrect, and if we're alive when he comes, we'll just be changed and get new bodies. But um, we see that it'll be eternal. It'll last forever. It won't die like these bodies are dying. So it will be a spiritual body, and it will last forever. Look at verse 2. For in this, that is in these physical bodies we currently have, we groan. That's all of us. Now, lost people too, of course, except they're not going to get the new bodies. But we, being in these physical bodies, groan. We could talk about that word groan. There's not, not just physical groanings. There's emotional um, things that happen. But we groan. There are, you know, really, it's hard... You know, the scripture says to give thanks for everything. And sometimes we think, be thankful for pain? Yes. Um, pain is not pleasant to go through, but God gave us pain for a reason. It tells us something's wrong, and we can try to get help. Um, so pain, though it's difficult to go through, God designed us so that we would have pain. There are people, uh, it's very rare, I think, people that are born that can't feel pain. And they, it's hard for them to live very long because they can injure themselves and to the point where they die before they even realize they're injured. So, uh, yes, we groan. There's lots of groanings. The physical groanings, the pains, the agony of getting older. And those of you that are still young won't, don't know this yet. And I know some of you still think of me as young. But I... No people talked about arthritis and what it's like, but if you've never had arthritic pain, it, it is painful. It's just when it hits you in different parts of your body. And so there's all kinds of things about getting older. Uh, eyesight, um, I had to go see my ophthalmologist again. My eyes are getting weaker. That's a normal function of getting older. All of these things, physical, emotional things we talked about that we can get tired. So in these physical bodies we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. We're looking forward to that new body, getting that spiritual or glorified body. I know all of you are. I am. 
Verse 3. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, a lot of people look at verse 3 and look at that as though it's talking about so that our spiritual bodies would cause us not to be naked. And all through the scripture, nakedness is associated with shame, right? There's, there's something that God gave us about feeling shame. We just don't disenrobe in front of others in public. There's this thing about shame. And the scriptures talk about we don't want to end up at the judgment seat of Christ standing there in the shame of our nakedness. There's lots of scriptures about that. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We don't have to get there and stand in there in the shame of our nakedness. Revelation 3, where the message to the church at Laodicea. And of course, it's he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So it's for us too. We don't have to be naked. We don't have to stand there naked. So I don't believe verse 3 is talking about these new bodies. I believe we're going to get these new bodies. But I believe the, the implication is uh, not being naked or found naked of good works. If we read Revelation 19, we know there's a wedding garment. And it says, the bride hath made herself ready. So that's not talking about getting saved. We don't do something to get saved. We don't do something to get to go to heaven. Uh, we just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are works involved, the righteous acts or the righteous deeds of the saints that will make up the wedding garment. So I believe that's what verse 3 is talking about. So when we get clothed, when we get our new bodies, we hope to get to be arrayed in the wedding garment and not be standing there in the shame of our nakedness at the judgment seat because we didn't do what God wanted us to do. Verse 4. For we, Paul continues, talking about us as believers, that are in this tabernacle, the physical body we have, do groan. Again, he said that in verse 2. Now it's said again about this groaning. Another word for the, the, to groan is to sigh. I don't know if you've ever sat down and just sighed. It's just that it doesn't even have to have voice to it, but just that breath that comes out because you're tired. That happens. We get tired in these bodies. You know in our glorified bodies we won't get tired anymore and we won't have to sleep? It's amazing to think about. It's hard to imagine. I said a moment ago and I didn't talk about it, but Christ's resurrected body in his glorified body, we could think about things that he did and what he could do, and that gives us a glimpse into our new bodies, right? He, he could eat, but obviously it's understandable. He didn't, didn't have to eat to live. He ate two fish and honeycomb. So he could eat in the glorified body. He could appear and disappear as he appeared in the upper room. We could think of all kinds of things that he could do in the glorified body. In any case, in these bodies, we groan. They're sighing. Being burdened. There's that weight. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In the, in the Greek, there's a definite article there of the life. Um, so we want to have the wedding garment. Not, we know we're going to get the new body. That's clear in the first two verses. We're going to get new bodies. But are we going to have the wedding garment? 
Verse 5, Now he that hath wrought us for the self thing, same thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit, the word earnest meaning a guarantee. The new bodies are a guarantee. Verse 6, Therefore, now this is connecting, and if, if this is just talking about getting our new bodies, then, then it would seem, what, what would this be, this, this part following? but I believe it's talking about being clothed with the wedding garment. Verse 6, Therefore, we are always confident. So that part is confident. Knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now there are, um, I don't want to call them churches, although they call themselves churches, I suppose, but there are belief systems, I'll call them that, who believe that uh, what's called soul sleep, that when you die, your body's dead and it knows nothing and there's, there's no spirit that's in, uh, there's no soul in heaven. So th they have to interpret uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And rather, you know, some people say that's a parable. Um, never in a parable does Jesus name a person like he does in the rich man and Lazarus. And I think it's interesting, too, just thinking about that. In this life, Lazarus was poor, but in, in the next life, his name is mentioned. The rich man, who's obviously well-known in this life, his name is not mentioned. Everything's the opposite, right? But anyway, but that is not, it's not a parable, it's a literal story. He said, there was a certain rich man. So the reason I say that, because the people that believe in soul sleep have to take that and say, well, it's just a parable. There, there are, there's no one conscious right now. Um, I don't know what they do with uh, Revelation chapter 6, the souls that are under the altar crying out to God, saying, how long do we have to wait for our blood to be avenged? So anyway, there's lots of scriptures. Now they like to quote Ecclesiastes, which say there's, um, you know, about nothing under the sun, the, the, all those verses, but that is talking about this physical life. In any case, verse 6 we're confident knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So if we're here, we're not with him. But what we know is when we leave here, we're instantly with him. So, because the opposite is true. Verse 7, though, says parenthetically, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, that's what faith is. It's believing in something we can't see. So we believe the word of God, that it's, that's by faith. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't see him crucified, but we believe it by faith. Once we see him, we won't need faith anymore. It's just in this physical life while we're living on the earth that we need faith. But then we'll see him. So we won't need faith. Faith will end. We won't have, need to have hope anymore. Our hope is that we hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat. Once we hear whether he says, well, good or, well done or not, we won't need to continue hoping. That's why he says, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these are love. Love abides forever, but faith and hope will end. Look at verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. So that's the opposite of verse 6. So we're here in our bodies. We're, we're, at, we're home here, so we're absent from there. But we'd rather it be the opposite. Now, I think this is more so the closer we are to the Lord that we want to go home, because that's our home. 
we want to go to heaven. Um, carnal Christians, I think, are happy here and would like to stay here. I don't think they like to hear things about the second coming because it reminds them of this life being over and they're enjoying living for self and pleasing self. So, but it is true that we'd be willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Why? Because all these groanings that we have, these, these sighings, these frustrations that we have in these physical bodies is getting tired. Everybody's talking about this pandemic. It's, I'm starting to wonder the way people are talking like this is going to be now and forever. It's just frustrating. How, how could there anybody, anybody who, I mean, I don't think, think people think these things so rationally. How are they going to go to school again if they have to be six feet apart? The classrooms couldn't hold the normal-sized schools, therefore the schools couldn't hold as many students. None of it makes any sense. But they're talking about it like this is forever and always. Anyway, I don't want to get off on all that, but this is the present life we're in. We'd rather be with the Lord. We'd rather be present with him. Verse 9, wherefore, connecting word, we, Christians, labor. Now, Notice it mentions labor. That's not to get the part we're confident about. There's not laboring because we're hoping to get this new body. We're hoping to not stand in the shame of our nakedness. We're hoping to have the wedding garment at the judgment seat. But we're confident that we're going to have our new body. So this is something to labor for, to work for. The word labor here means to strive or to agonize. We labor that whether present or absent, and I'll come back to that phrase, that's whether we're here or there, we may be accepted of him. The word accepted means well-pleasing. We want to be pleasing to him. We want to get there and hear him say, well done. You've pleased me. And then verse 10 says, connecting it, the word for means because we, that's all believers, has nothing to do with lost people, must all... That's all of us, not just some of us. All of us get, will stand there at the judgment seat, all believers. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, a lot of people, and you might have heard this preached or hear people talk about it, they think of somehow they read Matthew 25, and they think that's a judgment and that God's going to divide. The good people go to heaven, the bad people go to hell. Um, if you look closely at, at Matthew 25, there are no books open, and always when there's a judgment, there are books open. Matthew 25 is a dividing of nations in the tribulation period, the goat nations and the sheep nations. The sheep nations help Israel during the tribulation. They will exist as countries in the coming millennial kingdom. The goat nations will not. Most of them are prophesied. We have the exact names of them. That's not a judgment. So people that think of that think of one general judgment. They don't even know that this is the great white throne, excuse me, the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. The great white throne judgment are for the lost, and that's a thousand years later. So this is for us. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. That's talking about our physical bodies. Here while we're present, while we're in this earth as believers. According to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. And I'll talk about good or bad, of course, in a moment. But I want to go back to this in verse 9. We labor, whether present or absent. I always wonder, with the, well, the judgment, at the judgment seat, our judgment will be based on what we've done in our physical bodies. 
But it seems to me that verse 9 is implying that we still labor to be pleasing to him even when we leave here. I don't know if you've ever thought about that more. Whether present or absent, we labor to be pleasing to him. So it's, it's a, I think it's ongoing when we leave here. It's just that the, the rewards at the judgment seat are for what we do here in this life. All right, so now verse 10, so we have the judgment seat of Christ. It says, we'll be judged according to things done in our body. So whether good or bad, and I'll talk about that, but I'm pointing this out to show you that verse 3 is different. What we're hoping to get is this wedding garment. We're hoping to be clothed in it so we don't stand in the shame of our nakedness, not the part that we're confident about. We know we're going to be there. We know we're going to have a new body. What we don't know is if he's going to say, well done. Or if he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's talk about the good or bad. We know it's referring to works, the good works or bad works. We know that good works are what, it's not just anything that's good. You can do a lot of good things. You can do a lot of bad things. But the good things here mean they're godly works. They're things that he has done through us, that we let him do. He counts those as good. The rest... The word here is bad, or you could say, I've heard someone say, good for nothing. They don't count. Um, hold your place here for just a moment. Lord willing, we'll be back in a moment. And let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. I think um, a few, a few uh, of the preachers right, lately have uh, mentioned this scripture. I think one was Ken, but I, I, I get confused who preached what. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look there for a moment, because this, this talks about it too. Um, we'll start in verse 11, 1 Corinthians three eleven. Paul says, For other foundation can no one lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. We, he's giving an example of architecture, building a building. And so the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. We got saved. Now what do we build the building with? There's, there's different materials we can use. And if a fire were to occur... Some buildings would last better through a fire than others, you know, depending on the materials. But So he's talking about how we build. Verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You can easily see two categories here. One is gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are things that if they pass through fire, they remain through the fire. They come through the other end. But wood, hay, and stubble, if they go through the fire, they burn up. And so what we'll see here in a moment is this is review for you, but verse 12 and these following verses are likening this to our good works, the gold, silver, and precious stones that pass through the fire and don't burn, as opposed to the bad works, like wood, hay, and stubble, that go through the fire and burn up. So if a Christian at the judgment seat of Christ gets there and all they've been doing is for self, none of those works count. I mean, some of them might be stuff they did in the church. I always think about, it's when Hebrews chapter 4 talks about when the scripture, it says, it, it is, he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows why we're doing what we're doing. He knows the motives. So it's not just what we do, but what was the motive behind what we did? Did we do it to get the glory of men? Remember, Jesus used examples about this. And we're still in 1 Corinthians 3. We'll be back in a moment. But 
I'm just getting off on this, uh, on this subject a little bit to the side. But I was thinking about Jesus, and he talked about those who pray, prayed publicly, the Pharisees prayed publicly. Well, there's nothing wrong with public prayer, but they wanted to do it. Their intent was so everybody said, wow, I'll listen to them pray. And they'd give alms, you know, give money to the poor people. They'd make sure everybody could see them handing it out. That's because, as Jesus said, they have the reward. It was to get the glory of, to get the praise from men. So if we're doing what we're doing for people to praise us, then we have our reward. We already got it. But he's talking about the rewards that will last. And that's when we let him use us. That's why I talked about don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That doesn't make any literal sense, but you can understand what it means is the motive. So let's look at verse 13, 1 Corinthians 3.13. Every man's work. We just saw the, in, 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 chapter, in 2 Corinthians the things done in the body. Those are works. Let every man's work, every man's work shall be made manifest. It's all going to be revealed. The judgment seat, we all, we all see this. Talk about shame. Think about it. If, if we've, you know, we're not hiding anything from God, but we can maybe hide things from other people. So we, you know, only God knows our intent and our motives, right? But let's assume that everybody thinks, oh, wow, that person's a really good Christian. I'm sure they'll hear well done. Can you imagine, though, everything will be made manifest? And how embarrassing it would be to hear, depart from me. So every man's work will be made manifest. That is a guarantee. For, the word because, the day shall declare it. It will reveal it that day at the judgment seat. We will know. Because it shall be revealed by, literally, through fire. And the fire shall try, that is, test every man's work of what sort it is. Again, whether it's good or bad. If any man's work abide, if it remains through the fire which he has built thereupon, talking about that building again, he shall receive a reward. So, obviously, it implies if we don't have anything come through, we don't get any rewards, right? Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. He doesn't lose his salvation. Nobody loses their salvation. Nobody's kicked out of heaven when he says, depart from me. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, that phrase, with him. Jesus is speaking. If he says, depart from me, it means we wouldn't get to rule and reign with him. We're still in heaven if we hear, this, he, hear the words, depart from me. But he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by or literally through fire. So come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we're still in verse 10. And so we see we must all appear. If this verse is only talking about getting our new bodies, and those new bodies are guaranteed, then verse 3 has to be related to the judgment seat and whether we hear well done and get to be arrayed in the wedding garment. All right, verse 11 then. Knowing therefore, therefore the connecting word, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Think about this. Uh, I don't know, I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, don't know what the fear of God is. And I'm not talking about lost people, they don't believe in Jesus, so they're not saved. I'm talking about Christians. A lot of Christians don't understand the fear of God. If you had parents that disciplined you when you didn't do what you were supposed to or did something you weren't supposed to do, 
That meant your parents loved you and they disciplined you, right, for a reason. And I don't know about your lives and your experiences, but um, I can only think this only happened once to me, and I'm not saying that as bragging, but, but only once did I get in trouble in school. And so I was in more trouble at home when I got home. Nowadays, it's the exact opposite with most kids. They get in trouble with school, and the parents are down there right away jumping all over the teacher because it was the teacher's fault that they got in trouble. I mean, <laughs> I had one parent say, well, my son says your class is boring. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't say anything. The principal was in there, but <laughs> uh, sadly, you know, it wasn't just my class. It was all his classes. And what was even sadder, she was a psychologist, but um, he, <laughs> he didn't um, do well, I can tell you that probably guess. Didn't do well all through school, dropped out, and now, of course, he's an adult, but um, if it weren't for the fact that his parents were rich and could give him what he wanted, he wouldn't have anything. So, uh, but, but your parents loved you, so they disciplined you, and so you knew what the fear, you know what the fear of that was. Um, and it didn't have to mean abuse. You didn't have to be abused to have this fear. It just meant that you knew your parents were serious. And if they told you something, they meant it. And if you didn't follow it, there was going to be consequences. You have to learn consequences. And if people grow up not learning consequences at home, how are they going to understand the fear of God? It's, it, you know, it's, it's just preach, well, you're saved, you're going to heaven, everything's going to be great. You're all going to get rewards, you're going to have this... You know, it's just painted differently from what the scripture is. Yes, we might get that, but we might not. And it depends on what we've done in these bodies, whether they're good or bad. So that's what the terror of the Lord is. If we know this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what Paul was doing, and it's what we should be doing. Um, now, of course, a person has to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ first, but this persuading is getting a Christian to understand that we will give an account of what we've done in, these, in our bodies, what we've done in our Christian lives. It matters. Again, it doesn't, it's not, never going to be said, I'm sorry, you're gonna, you can't stay here, you're going to have to go to hell. That's not going to happen to a Christian. It can't happen to a Christian because the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross was completed. He died once. For all, he doesn't have to go back on the cross and die again. He, he, he did it once, it's done, and the work is finished. So our, our uh, being in heaven is guaranteed, our new bodies are guaranteed, but what happens when we get there? Will we stand in the shame of our nakedness or will we get the wedding garment? All right, let's go on in verse 11. Oh, well, actually, we're almost out of time, so let me do this. I'll finish verse 11, and then I want to go to Revelation 19 because it connects to this. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul was saying as he's writing this, and those with him, he hoped that they understood them, and he was, they're definitely manifest to God. God knew all about them, and he prayed that they would as well. All right, in case we have time, hold your place in 2 Corinthians, but let's go to Revelation chapter 19. 
Revelation chapter 19. We'll start in verse 6. John said, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, or like the voice of many waters, so saying it was loud, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, another example of loudness, saying, Alleluia. By the way, Alleluia and Hallelujah are the same words. It means praise the Lord. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So this is Christ setting up the kingdom. Um, we could talk about the Trinity, right? There's God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The word potent means powerful. Omni means all, all-powerful. The Lord God reigns. And I know Ken's thinking about the song he just sang. I'm sure probably you're thinking about That's the way God works things, you all. We, we talk about that. Because um, Ken didn't know this was going to be part of my message, right? So that's how God leads. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. That's Jesus. For, meaning because, the marriage of the Lamb is come. So at the, at the end of the tribulation, Christ is going to return and set up the kingdom. The marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. So this can't be just talking about salvation because this, this would imply that she got herself ready if you're talking about the body of Christ. But there are those in the body of Christ who got themselves ready. It says, at this point, they, she's done it already. That would be individuals as believers if we've done it. Verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now, this represents something. Now, this is not the fine linen, clean and white, is not the glorified body, because that we got at the rapture. That we're standing in at the judgment. In fact, we couldn't be at the judgment seat if not in that glorified body. We couldn't be in the presence of God in flesh and blood and live. Because we require oxygen, these bodies require, and they're not necessary there. But we already have that. But this is, for those who are faithful, they're arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. It says, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now, in the Greek, this is interesting, and I'm sure they didn't do it because there is no word for it. The word is plural. So what do you write? Righteousness says, my father used to always joke, he would uh, say, you know, uh, sheep, one sheep, right? Then he'd say two sheeps, three sheepses, four sheepses. He was trying to be funny, of course. So we have some words that don't change in the plural. One sheep, two sheep, three sheep. But um, we don't usually use righteousness in the sense of plural, but it's plural in the Greek. So do you want to say righteousness says? But what, are, what is righteousness? It's right works. And so it's talking about the good works. This connects to what we saw in 2 Corinthians 5. It connects to 1 Corinthians 3. These are good works, the righteous acts, the righteous deeds, the right works of the saints. That's what that is. All right, we're out of time. Let's close this morning in prayer. Father, we thank you that you allowed us to spend a few moments in, again in your word and re reminding us of what we're guaranteed and what we hope for. We know we'll be with you. 
But Father, help us to understand the fear of what it is to fear you and understand that you love us, but you're going to judge us according to what we've done. That it matters what we do as believers. We're thankful that 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, we're thankful we know we mess up and we know we don't do what we should do and we, we often do what we shouldn't do, and that's what Paul said in Romans 7. But, Father, we're thankful that we can, when you convict us, we can admit it to you, confess it, and get back in your will, get back up again. And as Jeff was preaching last week, we're in that race. You know, if we stumble and fall and just stay there, we don't go anywhere. But Father, help us to stay in the race, to stay faithful, that when we mess up, to confess it, get back up, and keep running. And know that our hope is to hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.